1: You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple Biff Klobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Bobo. Cliff. How are you doing today, sir?
2: Not too shabby, just a little flabby.
1: <laughs> Very good. Well, that's a COVID sort of thing, isn't it? Um, that's my excuse. Right. Exactly. Use whatever excuse is available, and that's also uh, what's responsible for my hair right now. I've got a haircut for a while, but yeah, uh, COVID is still going on. Um, anything squatchy going on? I haven't
2: heard anything. I'm expecting to get hear more stuff. I mean, not local. I mean, I get stuff all the time on the internet. Yeah, I, I see that knuckle print from yesterday from the uari Forest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty interesting. Yeah, that was a good one, and then. Um, just a lot of sightings, uh, getting a lot of stuff out of Tennessee and Kentucky as usual. Yeah, that, then, that's like, I'd say that's the hot spot of the country
1: right now, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, for sure. And then probably second most would be Southern Indiana, Illinois, Ohio area around there, which is right next to Western Kentucky.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, that spot's definitely going off. Okay. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but uh, how's Monkey doing? We called the vet to come. We thought we had to put
2: her down on Saturday. And we were just heartbroken, like sobbing all morning. And then she started. She got up and she she was couldn't breathe and was hacking. We're like, oh man, because she she when she lays down is when she gets bad. And the vet said, let me try one more thing. And then she, before the vet could even come over, she uh, monkey got up, and an hour later she was swimming in the ocean.
1: Wow, doesn't even know she's
2: sick. I know she's but her lung, yeah her tumors are huge and her heart's enlarged and. She's on borrowed time, but she's, she's, uh, the doctors, we got a great vet and she adjusted her meds again, gave her a new med, and she, uh, is
1: responding. Oh, well, very good. Very good. All right. Well, I'm sure everybody's heart goes out to you and monkey and whatnot. So thank you. Yeah. Well, on a lighter side of things, we have a great guest tonight for anybody out there in YouTube land, you probably know about this fantastic channel. It's called Pacific North weird. Um, and, uh, the man behind it is with us tonight. His name is Vince. Is that right? Vince? Is that how did I say it right? Almost. Almost. Uh, Okay. Correct me, please. I I have a kind of a funky last name. So I'm constantly correcting people about my last name as well. So I don't feel too bad about it. How do I need to say this? Well, Cliff, you're the first person
0: to ever get it wrong. So I'm I'm fairly (laughs) insulted right now. I'm a pioneer. Yes. Um, and Neil Armstrong, uh, Vince Inzunza.
1: this Vince Inzunza. Well, fantastic. Vince, thank you very much for coming on. I think you're, uh, people are going to really enjoy this episode, not only because, um, you're an engaging, intelligent guest, of course, but you've had an online presence for quite a long time with Pacific North weird. And you have been doing some really interesting research lately. Um, not only in, in, in the Bigfoot realm, but outside the Bigfoot realm. So you're a perfect guest for Bigfoot and beyond. So welcome to the
0: show. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here.
2: Are you the guy that um, I met at Longview that made that funny song about me, like the rap song? Yeah. Biggie got foot. Yeah. 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 That was hilarious. Okay. Now I know who you are. Yeah. We got to
1: post a link to that clip because that was hilarious. And that's on your channel at Pacific North weird.
0: Yeah. uh, Biggie Got Foot. It's my um, rap uh, uh, parody of Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back, but it's all about Bigfoot and Cliff uh, and a few other people and events and things get a a shout out in it.
1: Yeah, I I do. I do remember watching you uh, watching that video. It's pretty funny. Little edgy, I think, perhaps is a nice way to
0: say it. (laughs) Yeah, it's not the video you can take home to mom, but.
1: That's
2: right. It's got cuss
0: words. It's some F-bombs in it, right? Oh, yeah. No, I mean it, it, You got to get down and dirty and real <laughs> when you're talking about Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Well, we'll get to the content of your channel in a little while. But if, first, uh, Vince, since I imagine there are a few people out there that perhaps don't know about you or your channel, hopefully you'll pick up some new viewership with this program. But uh, tell us about a little bit about your background and what led you to opening or to starting the Pacific North Weird YouTube page. And you know, what made you interested in the weird stuff that you delve into?
0: Yeah, well, I was born and raised in Washington State, where where I, I still live today. And you know, growing up in the '80s, being a kid, uh, I we had unsolved mysteries, you know, playing all the time in our our home. Um, got into the X Files, uh, classic Art Bell. Um, it was it was a great time to grow up and get an interest in the paranormal, you know, UFOs, Bigfoot, ghosts, all of that, and. Maybe about six years ago, I went to a UFO festival in McMinnville, Oregon, and just to have the time of my life. And it, the, the whole festival is based upon uh, uh, two photographs of a flying saucer that were taken in 1950 uh, back in uh, in, McB- in McMinn- McMinnville. Um, I loved that idea so much of finding this obscure, cool, weird regional history that I uh, decided just to... Uh, try my hand at making a show about it and you know i knew about a few things in in the washington area that were weird i know bigfoot was big around here and um a little bit about some of the some of the urban legends and cool history that we had and just started uh, trying my hand out and making videos and you know six years later here i am and uh, yeah i love it
2: you've made it now you're on bigfoot and beyond
0: This
1: is where I always wanted to end up. (laughs) It's all downhill from here, baby. (laughs) Well, you know, you hit upon something that I think is interesting and perhaps overlooked by some people, especially uh, some of the newcomers into the field of Bigfoot and other weird things. Um, And that's it. If you're going to be studying one of these things, it's tantamount that you that you study the history of that thing. You know, it's kind of like uh, when I went to music school, you know, I I have a degree in music or whatever, but I wanted to play guitar. I want to play jazz guitar. and uh, But but I had to go back and learn about Renaissance music and Baroque music and then the whole history of music from from prehistory to present. And, um, and at the time being a kid or whatever, I thought, well, what does that have to do with me playing guitar? You know? And I, but it was only afterwards that you really get to the, um, the depth of what the history can teach us. And cause it teaches you the context of where you are, um, and Bigfoot or UFOs or anything else is just like it. I've seen a lot of people come into the field who weren't versed, uh, in the history of the subject, proclaiming to have discovered things that were discovered literally 30 or 40 years ago. Whether it's uh, bigfoot sightings tied to rainfall or you know uh, or whatever I mean, there's, I've seen this happen in my 26 years of doing Bigfoot stuff, so it is important to learn about the foundation and the shoulders on which you stand um, as a researcher so uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that
0: and I fully agree uh, the history is absolutely my favorite thing about any of these subjects and I became so um, enamored with uh, with my home region even more after doing all this research and discovering just this amazing, amazing um, esoteric Fortean history uh, within the Pacific Northwest. You know, like like a very very rich UFO flying saucer history. Um, Of course, uh, Bigfoot and Sasquatch are, are embedded throughout you know, the past couple centuries in, in this area. And you really, uh, you really get to appreciate your surroundings more when you understand maybe w- w- where town names came from or, or, you know, where uh, historic firsts happened near you. It's, it's a, it's been absolutely rewarding to, uh, dive into all that. And I consider myself more of a historian, uh, with these subject matters than I do a researcher really like i i've never made a video that really goes out and tries to like you know find bigfoot evidence or, or prove that ufos exist or aliens exist or prove that there are ghosts my videos are way more about uh the social history the cultural history of of, of these matters
2: that's that, that is fascinating that whole aspect of it i think it, i think it's cool hearing the stories about what's going on now and learning about bigfoot behavior but the history is to me is just as fascinating.
0: Yeah. It, it, um, it's made me an avid collector too. Like if you look inside of my home, it feels like a museum in here. And I, I just, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to find a uh, little, uh, cultural Bigfoot artifacts from, from history, you know, or, um, uh, just a, a vintage flying saucer pulp magazines, you know, I'm, I'm in terms of Bigfoot, like I'm really into the kind of the seventies, eighties era, you know, where it was kind of fresh and edgy and Bigfoot was appearing on, you know, television shows like the $6 million man. And, uh, that, 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 sort of, a vintage, uh, paraphernalia, I, I, it's like crack to me. I, I collect it obsessively.
1: <laughs> yeah, some people might argue that the social aspect of it or the cultural aspect of a subject like Sasquatch may not have much to do with field work and all that sort of thing. But uh, it, it's it, it, is, it does enrich one's experience in the subject. I think in... Uh, To me, that's unarguable. Um, Just to know that, yeah, there is a $6 million man versus Bigfoot and the aliens TV show, and maybe that won't help you be a better field researcher, but it does help you have a more complete contextual view of where you stand in, in the subject, because we are all part of the history of the subject at this point. And in 30 or 40, 50, 60 years, um, probably long after these things are discovered that will be footnotes, you know, that's somewhere along the line. Um, Bigfoot and beyond podcast, or finding Bigfoot or Pacific North weird, these will be footnotes somewhere because we'll, we will have, uh, come across something, discovered something or accidentally stumbled across something, which is probably more accurate. That might be historically, you know, uh,
0: interesting for the future generations. Yeah, exactly. And it helps you understand people more. You know, it, it, you, you take any of these, any of these topics and you treat them almost like folklore. And th- the way people interact with these things tells you so much about the, the human condition, the human psyche, about your own culture, culture, your own civilization and society. Yeah.
1: So, uh, so you grew up in the 1980s and kind of like a lot of us, I mean, I was a decade before, but it was still in search of, and the TV shows and the cultural stuff in the seventies that got me hooked. Same thing for you in the 1980s, um, started making videos after you went to the McMinnville, uh, UFO festival, by the way, which is a great gig. It's a lot of fun, man. That's that thing. I was scheduled to speak there this year, but the whole plague thing shut it down. So maybe next year we'll see, but, um, that is a good time. So uh, what were your earlier videos about? Like, What sort of topics did you chase down in the early days of Pacific North Weird?
0: The early days, uh, I researched and did videos on uh, things like the Mima Mounds, which is this uh, interesting geographic phenomenon uh, near where I live right now uh, in the Thurston County area of Washington. Um, That first video, uh, I learned a whole lot, you know, just about the process and how what I wanted the show to be. Like we, we, we ended up. getting a musician friend to write a Mima Mounds based song at the end. And we did a little music video at the end of it. And I kind of realized that uh, this is more of a variety show. You know, I'm just uh, taking a subject and tackling it from various angles and it's part documentary, part comedy skits, you know? Um, so got the Mima Mounds, uh, video done, um, tracked down a few ghost towns, uh, a few, uh, uh, purportedly haunted spots in the area, um, met up, uh, with a uh, great guy named James Clarkson, who, uh, at the time was the director of, uh, Washington MUFON, which is a big, uh, UFO, uh, research organization. And he, uh, he took me, took us under his wing and kind of really, um, was our, our kind of our, our first, uh quasi-paranormal celebrity that we got to interview, and that was super exciting. And the show uh, really kind of came together um, after that, and... Just from then on, uh, I've been learning more about uh, about video making, about video production, um, learning more how to uh, put together something compelling. So you can kind of see from the early days, uh, you can tell I didn't really know what a microphone was, you know, or, or <laughs> I would... You know, do a, a video that was 45 minutes long that could have been 13 minutes long. You know, but you get to, get to see the progression and you get to see the show start to evolve and become itself, you know, as the uh, as the years go by. And, you know, we, we we've covered uh, just all kinds of uh, subjects, everything from the Jake the Alligator Man, um, weird crypto taxidermy they have in Long Beach, Washington, to. Uh, Mary Hill Stonehenge, which is this Stonehenge replica in uh, southern Washington. Um, uh, we've covered uh, Ramtha's School of Enlightenment, which is this kind of weird uh, alien reptilian cult uh, in Washington. Um, so we're, we're just all over the place. And it's just a it's a weird uh, love letter to all the oddballs that make this place pretty special.
2: Have you looked into that uh, lizard people stuff?
0: A little bit, like I I know about, um, uh, David Icke, the, uh, the British uh, conspiracy theorist researcher, it's kind of the guy that really made, uh, popularized this concept that you know big portions of, of the royal family and, and presidential families and whatnot are actually secret shape, shape-shifting reptilian beings that live uh, in caverns uh, deep below the Earth's surface. That's, that's the gist of it.
1: Which is a sad state of affairs, but we'll, we'll move on, I suppose. Um, what? We're going to leave reptiles? I don't know. <laughs> how could? You know how I am. I'm fairly skeptical, man. So, yeah, get a lot of heat over that too. It's an, an, an unfortunate, but anyway. Um, so, of all the things that you've looked into, Vince, because uh, you've, you've gone the gamut, man, like things that are just wildly insane sounding to things that are relatively normalish in some ways. Um, of course, that's based on my judgment. Being Sasquatch is being relatively normal. Um, what, in your opinion? Do you do, do you put a lot of stock in like some of these really whacked out stuff that you think you know what there might, I think there's actually something here, um, do you, or do you just totally not judge the things you look into and just look into them for the sake of looking into them?
0: I consider myself a pretty um, pretty fair healthy skeptic with a lot of these more outrageous claims. You know, um, when people see lights in the sky, for instance, you know, I I, I believe that there's something to that. But then people can also um, suddenly form a very personal relationship with these lights in the sky and think that, you know, they're specifically coming from the Pleiadian star system to specifically find Bob Smith, you know, who who, who lives in Tulalip, you know, to to speak to him. And I'm skeptical um, to the extent that I think a lot of people uh, insert themselves into some of these stories, into some of these narratives, uh, where the, the root of it, the, the thing that started it very well could have plenty of validity and it very well could be in the, like, extraterrestrial ship or, or some sort of, uh, paranormal phenomenon. However, I'm more skeptical when, when it seems like too good of a story where, where like their personal narrative, um, is really mixed into it. Um, same with a lot of Bigfoot reports you get with, um, the, the mind speak, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, Bigfoot picking someone out in particular to give them a big environmental message to save the world. You know, a lot of these things are just as much the person reporting the story as, as it is the subject matter itself, if that makes sense.
1: Amen. Yeah, I find that uh, observers in general have a hard time, or not all, not all, of course, but there's a significant portion of the people out there who have a difficult time uh, differentiating between their observations and their interpretations of their observations. Yeah, it's it's aggravating for me personally. You know, when, when I hear up uh, like, oh, it, the, the female was up on the hill and it was sneaking down because it wanted to try to get closer. There's a they, it was, there was a juvenile nearby and and it made this thing. A, well, well, the fact is, the observation is you heard a noise. You know, and, and there, everything else is kind of just put upon that observation. Um, And of course, when people interject their own, you know, values and and, uh, things like that into it as well, just, I think the witnesses sometimes need to get out of the way, even though that they're the conduit between uh, the researcher and the experience. I think a lot of times uh, the witnesses, um, like you said, personalize a little bit, perhaps more than they need to. Um, and it's a human tendency. It's hard to blame you know anybody for doing that. But um, once you step outside of being the witness or whatever, you can kind of see that, uh, and it helps one not do that. If you like, if I saw a Sasquatch, I would do my best to not interpret what it was doing or thinking or trying to do at the time and whatnot.
0: Yeah, we're, oftentimes people are so um, prone to anthropomorphizing uh, things around them that you you, you're giving non-human thing clearly non-human things very human qualities and intentions and understandings and yeah at that point you're the 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 observational purity gets muddied
1: yeah yeah i would agree stay tuned for more bigfoot and beyond with cliff and bobo we'll be right back after these messages sonidos of our music sonidos of our voices
2: sonidos of our stories listen to the sounds and voices of Latin music and culture with Pandora stations like RMX La Vida en Pop El Pulso and Satellites and podcasts like Ruby Rosa and more from music to stories all that we are is in the sonidos of our culture listen now on Pandora
1: You've covered some of the things like okay, well, yeah, the lights in the sky might be might be there. Is have you run across anything that you com- you think is complete nonsense? Right. There's no way that the thing you're looking into happened or is real or is even close to the way it was described in the history books or you know the local lore? Is there, is there anything like that that is you you upon investigation you discovered was just was a boulder dash.
0: Right. Well, at, at the risk of getting a, a few uh, Illuminati assassins after me, uh, I, I think the whole Ramtha thing is rubbish. I don't know what uh, that is. Oh, okay. Uh, Ramtha's School of Enlightenment. It's this oh. uh, cult uh, in Yelm, Washington. Uh, School slash cult. Um, Jay Z Knight uh, is the this uh, conduit for. The, What she claims to be a thirty-five thousand-year-old entity, uh, warrior spirit named Ramtha, the enlightened one, and he comes from uh, the lost continent of Lemuria, and uh, uh, basically, uh, this this being enters her body. Her voice changes; she kind of sounds like uh, uh, Graham Chapman in drag from the old Monty Python sketches like like it's it's like really deep and weird and almost British. And uh, she just delivers kind of this uh, repackaged uh, new age ideology that has been around since the old days of theosophy, you know, back in the uh, early 20th century. Um, And, and you, you pay lots of money to go, you know, hear this Ramtha character speak, you know? So like it's to me, I, I don't really believe this woman, is being inhabited by an ancient spirit. I, mean, I, I don't believe that she actually knows what the aliens really intend. Um, I, it, t- to me, things like that are, are clearly uh, kind of a, a theater for the ego. You know, that gets you a lot of things. Uh, it sounds to
2: me like and, you're trying to get, you're going to get cornhole by the aliens with that attitude.
0: I just might, maybe I've dug myself too much of a grave here. <laughs> well, we won't
1: ask you to stick your neck out again after that. Cause you know, okay. you are going to have an entire cult after you now. So
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we, we, we had a good fun with them in our video. We did four years ago and I, I, I heard that at one point someone did put like a, a psychic threat on us or like a, a, a psychic, uh, um, hit uh, in a way, and like we were supposed to be like um, scalped by invisible, invisible native spirits or something for uh, making fun of uh, Ramtha, but it's been like five years now and it hasn't happened yet. So I Revenge
2: is a disparate. best served cold. It takes some time, I hear.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, so what are some of the um, more interesting things that you've run across that you didn't expect? You know, cause you, you might go into something like this, this cult thing and say, Oh, well, I kind of think it's going to be like, that." but when, after digging in for a day or two, you find something totally unexpected that is really cool and blows your mind. Uh, have, have you run across anything like that?
0: I've, uh, been really surprised at how many historic and, and downright unusual things have happened, uh, around, um, where, right where I grew up, basically, um, I, I grew up in a My earliest memories of life are from a little town called Mineral, Washington. Oh yeah, and tiny little place. I I think uh, the the post office in there has the Guinness Book World Records uh, record for being like the smallest in the world. But so I I grew up there um, before you know moving uh, moving elsewhere in Washington. Uh, But uh, I was really surprised through just historic research uh, to find out how many. strange things happened in history around that area. Like one one of the weirdest is this, uh, UFO extraterrestrial contact, uh, story that happened in 1950, um, outside of mineral. And it's, uh, collectively known as the Nudist from Venus. So (laughs) this, this, uh, this guy named Samuel Eaton Thompson was driving in the area. Um, one, one day, um, late March, 1950, he pulls his car off to the side of the road and uh, decides he just needs to walk down this, this logging road this this trail thing system that went into the woods and he finds a clearing and there's this uh, flying saucer hovering there. And there's a whole family of uh, naked blonde people kind of frolicking and, and just having a, a gay old time out there. And, uh, Samuel uh, introduces himself to them, and like they're scared at first, but he shows them that he means no harm. and says, He says that they invited him onto uh, their ship and told him all of their secrets, uh, that they were from the planet Venus, and that they had uh, arrived uh, on Earth to prepare our, uh, our species for the second coming of Christ, which is supposed to happen in 10,000 A.D., And they uh, went on to talk about like how um, different different people on different planets are all born under that specific planet's astrological sign. And that sign would then dictate the type of person they were. You know, Venus is supposed to be the... The the sign of of love and peace, in a way. So the the Venusians were lovely, peaceful, innocent people who didn't need to wear clothes. And Samuel himself happened to be born under the sign of Venus. So he was promised that if he was a good person and uh, uh, did right in the world, uh, he would die and be reincarnated as a Venusian. Um, That that story. Oh yeah, I'm I'm trying to live that way myself because I want to wind up naked on Venus. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, stories like that are are incredible and just weird to me. And I love the fact that that all was claimed to have happened. You know, right where right where uh, my earliest you know childhood memories are. You know, like I, I remember being very enamored with the forest just around my home there, and it's it's just really cool to. To think that, you know, however strange the story is, there was that sort of energy and attention and, and, and tales being told about the area from, from way back when. So, like, things like that really make me um, appreciate, uh, appreciate this area and where I grew up uh, in many different ways.
1: Just to know that there's that level of high strangeness circulating around just gives me
0: hope for the world. Absolutely. It's it's the if there's one thing that's going to unite us, which we desperately need right now, um, is just a, a mutual and, uh, and universal love for the weird and for, for mysteries, you know, for the unknown. Like that, that makes life worth living. And it makes life seem not so uh, uh, futile.
1: Um, now I recently got in touch with you again, Vince, because something surfaced in my life that uh, had been kind of central in your life for a while. Um, uh, why don't you? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. So why don't you go ahead and set it up and talk about some of the history that you've uh, uncovered and how all that happened? Um, and yeah. Then we'll get and get on to the newest development in that saga.
0: All right. So uh, I frequently do work uh, with um, the Lewis County Historical Museum in Chehalis, Washington. I'm good friends with the uh, museum director, uh, Jason. And um, late 2018, uh, Jason sent me a message uh, saying that uh, they, had, they had received a really peculiar donation to the museum that day. And what, what he had was uh, were, uh, three uh, audio cassettes uh, that were uh, home made interviews with uh, this uh, late uh, Toledo, uh, Washington resident named Rant Mullins. And I I vaguely knew the name Rant Mullins uh, because I I knew of him and um, his more uh, famous um, uh, neighbor, uh, Ray Wallace, as kind of like these two um, local Bigfoot hoaxing legends that um, a lot of people in, in in my community, uh, knew about, you know, a lot of the old timers and I got really excited. I was like, Oh wow. I, I know a little bit about this guy. You know, he's a Bigfoot hoaxer. Um, let me, let me, uh, record, digitize the, the tapes and, uh, release them. And, and Jason was like, yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, got some software and equipment and got the cassettes and, uh, digitized them. And, uh, Basically, uh, um, it's about three hours of uh, Rant Mullins um, back in 1982, a few years before his death. Um, He's um, being interviewed by a friend of the family named Roberta Spencer, friend of the Mullins family. And uh, he's basically telling his life story. You know, he was born in 1897, um, had a lot of strange, unusual experiences. cool, uh, jobs and, 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 hobbies and everything, you know, throughout the years in the Northwest. Um, and then, you know, about the, the last 15 minutes of the very last tape, he gets into his claim that he in essence invented Bigfoot. He's full which, of shit. Which, oh, absolutely. I got uh, so
2: bad. I listened to that tape. I wanted to punch that guy in the freaking throat.
0: Rant, rant, rant can be a tough guy to love for sure. Um, but, uh, he, um, puts forth this story, um, of, of jealousy and ego and kind of documents like this bitter feud he had with his rival, uh, Ray Wallace, who's a uh, much more well-known in as kind of being like a prankster, or, you know, a, a Bigfoot, uh, a Bigfoot hoaxer, a jester of, of, of that, of, of that community. Um, so yeah, uh, the, um uh, The audio uh, was pretty hard to decipher uh, for quite a while. Uh, Rant at the time was in his mid 80s, I believe, and the recording wasn't the best. So it was like really, really hard to understand. Um, And it took a took a good year, year or so of, you know, coming back to it and. Playing with it, and listening to it over and over again, along with uh, along with uh, my friend Tyler Bounds. Uh, everyone, everyone knows Tyler. Uh, we uh, came up with uh, a pretty accurate uh, transcription of those final, you know, fourteen, fifteen minutes of, of rant telling his his uh, Bigfoot hoaxing saga, and uh, just recently released uh, the uh, the video along with the, uh, the the subtitles, the closed captioning uh, on our YouTube channel. It was a great video, by the way, because uh, some of the things he was speaking of
1: in the video, like, like uh, he didn't know Peter Byrne's name, for example. But you guys right. figured out that the Peter, well, I forget what he said his Peter last Brown. name. Peter Brown. Yeah, but you figured out, oh, he's talking about Peter Byrne. And so you slapped the picture of Peter Byrne up there. So you actually uh, went above and beyond exactly what he was saying and actually showed what he was trying to say. Uh, and I, this is a fantastic video. I, I was very, very impressed with it. And it was so interesting to hear Rant's uh, you know Rant's um, voice. because Now, for the people out there in the audience, Rant Mullins, okay, maybe you don't know the name, but you know Ray Wallace, of course. But if you have read Dr. Jeff Meldrum's uh, Sasquatch Legend Meets Science book, there's a photograph of Rant Mullins in that book, holding up these two fake wooden stompers. That's the gentleman we're talking about right now. So, you may not know his name, but you've probably seen his face.
0: Yeah, and he got um, mildly popular um, in the early '80s, like shortly before this the interview we're speaking of was recorded. Um, so he went to the newspapers and to uh, CBS Evening News to tell his uh, his story of having. Um, quote unquote invented Bigfoot uh, you know back in uh, nineteen thirty when he was a young man working for the Forest Service at in the uh, Gifford Pinchot National Forest. Um, what I find like really, really compelling about this entire project though, is that this really isn't isn't a story about Bigfoot. It's a, it's it's this it's this weird um, small town human drama family feud where Bigfoot just happens to be like the background for it. Like, like this rant Mullins story and his feud with Ray Wallace is really about jealousy. And it's about, you know, one man who didn't quite have a great life looking at another guy who was a lot more popular than him. And Arant rant essentially went to the press with this story because he wanted to pull the rug out from under Ray Wallace. He, he in his mind. He was thinking, well, Ray Wallace is this popular guy and he's beloved in the community. Everyone loves him at the local tavern because he spins these tales about Bigfoot. Well, I'm going to put an end to all of that by proving that Bigfoot doesn't even exist. How am I going to do that? I'm going to tell them where Ray Wallace got those wooden stompers and how I actually did the first hoax of it three years prior, basically. So it, it, it's, I felt like I was like almost doing like a thesis paper for like, you know, human criminal psychology in a way by, by uh, going through this and just uh, painstakingly, you know, figuring out what rant was talking about and, and who he was.
2: It was a
1: crime against <laughs> humanity to do hoaxing of Sasquatch and lie about it. Well, you know, it, it, what's so interesting to me about this is that, first of all, that, uh, there, there are photographs from Spirit Lake in 1930 of Sasquatch footprints in the ground. Um, and there's some boots marked next to them. And it's almost certainly what uh, Rant was speaking of at the time. Um, and contextually, you got to think about this, this, this time frame here, because this is just a few years after the Ape Canyon incident. In the same general area, right? You know, Ape Canyon's not that far from Spirit Lake. And uh, when the miners were done with the Ape Canyon encounter, they went to the Spirit Lake ranger station. So uh, it makes sense. that I mean, Spirit Lake in that area was basically the Bluff Creek at that time, the 1920s, early 1930s. So if he was going to hoax some footprints, that's where he would have done it because that's where all the attention was focused from the newspapers. And remember, newspapers were pretty much the only media of the day. There wasn't a radio really at that time. I mean, there, if there, if it wasn't was invented yet, it was in its earliest days. You know, it wasn't the heyday of radio yet. And television was a decade or two ahead of, you know, of that. So um, if he would have hoaxed it, he would have gone to that area. And so the Ape Canyon story actually plays into this because he was kind of riding the wave that started in the 1920s with the Ape Canyon incident
0: yeah yeah and the ape canyon was 1924 i believe and I think so yeah six years later 1930 was is when rat story uh begins uh, as far as the tapes are concerned with the with the interview where uh, he worked for the forest service and they knew that there were some uh, a group of huckleberry pickers who were uh in the area at a place called dry gulch and uh uh, according to Rant, they just thought that they were uh, have some fun. So they just uh, carved. He carved some um, wooden feet out out of some alder wood and uh, had his friends strap them on, and they went and made footprints to, to scare scare the hell out of the huckleberry pickers. Um, what's interesting, though, is if you if you go to if you go to uh, the research room at the Lewis County uh, Museum, there's a special file just on Rant Mullins, and there's a, a typewritten um, um, confession or, 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 or statement from Rant where he actually, in this written statement, also takes claim for the Ape Canyon incident, saying that he and his uncle, George Ross, had actually rolled boulders down um, on, the, on the Fred Beckham and the miners uh, to prank them of course he never mentions this in the audio tapes and he pulls his uncle george into this who had been dead at that point for like 20 years so it's, it seems it seems like just a kind of another thing he wanted to uh, claim ownership or authorship of you know in order to even further stick it to to ray
1: stay tuned for more bigfoot and beyond with cliff and bobo we'll be right back after these messages Well, I guess that's where um, I'll pick up the story because of the most recent developments here at the North American Bigfoot Center. Um, this past maybe about a year ago, or maybe this past spring—I don't know. My sense of time is a little is a little elastic. Um, but a gentleman came in the shop who lives up in Yakult, Washington. Um, he's an older gentleman, and he was saying that you know he had seen a Sasquatch. His wife had seen them twice. I um, mean, they're all, you know they seventies, like late seventies, um, and and he's interested in the subject. And he said that about. 19, 17 and 19 of his personal friends and family members had observed these things before. And maybe I should come out and talk to him sometime at his home. You know, and so I, I did actually, I, I wrote his number down and we made arrangements and I went out there and I, I interviewed him at length about his, uh, about his sightings. Um, and his family is, is, from that area, there's a number of ge- um, geographical features. There's roads, there's lakes, there's there's gulches named after his family. So he had been there for a long time. I give him a lot of credence. He saw his first Sasquatch in the 1940s, for example, long before Bigfoots were even a, kind of a thing, you know? Um, so I've, I've kept in touch with this gentleman um, over this past year, um, and he called me up, actually, uh, not that long ago, and said, oh Cliff, I, I, I have something. And basically what happened is that his nephew bought a house in Toledo, Washington. And when he was moving in, uh, there was a lot of stuff left over from the previous owner. I guess the previous owner was something of of a hoarder in some sort of ways. So there was a lot of cleaning out to do, especially out in the shop or the garage or something. So he's cleaning out the shop and he runs across these two large 16 inch long wooden carved feet. And on the back of them, is scrawled, uh, rant Mullins, 1982, Toledo, Washington. And with it is a blank piece of paper, all browned and aged, um, from OMSI, the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry is, uh, some sort of gift or donation agreement, um, and it's not filled out at all, et cetera. So the, these, these were seemly, seemingly intended to be gifted to OMSI. Well, um, this gentleman who bought the house contacts his uncle, who he knows is into Bigfoot, and says, Hey, I, I, got, I, I found these things. I don't know what they are, but you're, you like Bigfoot. Maybe you'd be interested in them. Um, and they, it turns out that this gentleman, I worked with Rant Mullins's, I believe his brother back in the day. Um, maybe it was his son, but I, th- I think it was his brother. I'll have to go check my notes. And so he knew the Mullins family and he goes, Oh, that's Rand Mullins stuff. Oh yeah, sure. I'll take that. And then he got him, and he's like, well, what am I going to do with these things? Oh, well, These belong in a museum. They're historical artifacts. So he contacted me and we made arrangements. And I I, I eventually got out there to see him just this last week, actually. Uh, I tried a few weeks ago, but um, because of the fires, um, this gentleman was also evacuated. Um, I was evacuated from my home and so was he up in Yakult for for a different fire. But we eventually got together and sure enough, um, they are the Rant Mullen Stompers that are are in um, in the photograph, at least in Dr. Meldrum's book. Uh, and I can, there's certain marks and blemishes on them that you can clearly see both on the originals and on um, the, in the photograph. Now, if you watch the Pacific North weird video, um, that was filmed in 1982, um, which is also the date that Rant Mullins wrote on the back of the Stompers. Those are also the same Stompers. Um, and they show him pushing them into the ground and whatnot and making the footprints.
2: That was interesting
1: um, how he stood on them and he didn't wear them. He just stood both feet on one and kind of pounded it in that way. Yeah. I found that very interesting Not exactly how I thought it was done, but yeah, super
0: interesting. Right. Well, um, I believe he said that when when they originally did the uh, the prank on the huckleberry pickers, the wooden feet were were similar to the ones we saw in the the news report in the video, but that he had poles for each hand that were uh, that went into the feet. So you would hold on to those as you would walk. (laughs) Yeah, uh,
1: well, there you go. It seems that the ones I have possession of in the North American Bigfoot Center are not the original
0: 1930 ones. They were made at some point later on. Um, yeah, I, I believe the 1930 ones um, either went to Wallace or are just lost to history. Yeah, very interesting stuff. And you know, I started comparing the um, the the
1: Wallace feet to these Wallace the Wallace feet tend to show that double ball feature. You know where the metatarsals hook, uh, connect to the um, the the phalanges. You know in the feet, with um, a flexion crease. Dr. Meldrum suspects that that's a flexion crease from a, having a really large fat pad, and the the, the flexibility of the foot increases that uh, makes that double ball like feature. And Ray Wallace's tracks, most of Ray Wallace's tracks, tend to show that feature. These don't have that. These would never pass for a real Sasquatch footprint in the ground, in my opinion, at least. Um, we're, and of course raised wouldn't pass that well either, although we did pass them off for a long time before we knew so much about the feet, but, um, very interesting stuff. And I, and when I was listening to the recording of rant saying that he made those other stompers for Ray Wallace, I'm thinking, well, I mean, the ones I'm looking at are look terrible. I can't Uh, imagine the ones he made for Ray Wallace looking that much better. Exactly. So that's where we have it now. That's where the, this saga has now led us. Um, between uh, Vince's work with and, and Tyler's work, of course, with Pacific North Weird, and then just this, this happenstance that the Stompers themselves ended up at the museum here. Um, that's where we find ourselves. But the question is, now what? What do we? Where do we go next, Vince? Do you have any ideas there? Where do we go next in terms of rant Mullins? yeah, yeah just do we do, just wait around until something else drops, or is there something that could be done?
0: Well, I think there is more to be done with the remaining two and a half hours of audio that uh, that i'm in possession of uh, almost nothing to do with uh, with Bigfoot, of course, but you actually find like his life story and what he 's talking about in in the remaining audio um, is is a really compelling oral history of the Northwest. At times, I almost kind of viewed Rant Mullins as a sort of like a weird Forrest Gump figure where he's just witnessing these odd, uh, um, pivotal, interesting, sometimes macabre things that happened in the history of of Southwest Washington. Um, He speaks of uh, you know, of uh, knowing about John Torno, the Wild Man of Winucci, this huge manhunt that happened in Gray's Harbor uh, back in the early 20th century, where uh, John Torno was like this larger-than-life uh, um, social outcast, um, and he uh, accidentally um, killed a, a few people in a gunfight. Like it, it, the, the, his history and story is very strange, but he ended up being. Um, on uh, the subject of uh, the North, Washington's largest manhunt prior to DB Cooper, where he hid out in the forest and eluded capture for like ten months or something, uh, but you know, rant mentions like that happening as he as he was a youth. Uh, he mentions like memories of, uh, the Titanic sinking, um, talks about knowing people peripherally involved in the, uh, Centralia massacre, which is this uh, bloody event that happens in Centralia, Washington in, oh, 1918, I think, or 1912, something like that. Um, so there's a lot of historic value in, in the rest of this audio and, and, of course, you know you listen to rant. You, you realize, like, without that, without the closed captioning or the subtitles, he'd be very hard to understand. So, it took me a year to do fifteen minutes. It'd take a, you imagine how long it would take to do an extra two and a half hours of it. But I think that there's something there. There, there's, there's an avenue that I'd like to spend some years on, in my off time. You know, kind of uh, telling the rest of his story and and preserving this. Once in a lifetime historic document for the way it needs to be. Yeah, too few
1: people have gone to the actual source and uh, interviewed the elderly, essentially, uh, talking about their youth and what they remember. Um, and, and this is an excellent example of what can actually come out of it uh, later on uh, that that's of historic significance, I think, because I mean, a lot of people probably wrote Brantoff off as some ranting old man that wasn't worth talking to some crotchety old jerk, but, um, he witnessed a lot of things in his time, um, and had his hands and, and feet in this case in a lot of different areas as well. So mm-hmm. it, uh, uh, another reason to value, um, our elders, I suppose. Well, Vince, it sounds like your plate is full of all sorts of strange cuisine as far as projects go, man. It it sounds like you're living the life, uh, you're living living your best life, man. That sounds amazing. Good for you that you're delving into all these strange sort of topics, and you have definitely brought the beyond to Bigfoot and beyond for this week's episode. I had the blast doing
0: it. Thank you so much. Thank you for being a weirdo, Vince, and coming on the show. Thank you for uh, being fellow weirdos as well. It's, it's, uh, it's good <laughs> to be surrounded by, by good people like you.
1: All right, Vince, thanks a lot for coming on. We'll have you on next time you have something to share with us and you just keep us posted on whatever cool stuff you're up to. And if you need to put some ears on it, we're here for you. Okay. Thanks. Have a good day. Bye. That was a good one, Bubs.
2: Yeah. I love that guy's page, man. He's, he's a funny dude. Like I'll never forget when I saw that video the first time with the rap video about Bigfoot and I was like, And then I was digging the song, I was dancing to it, going, this song rocks. And then uh, I heard my name yelled out, I was like, oh, man, this is, I was so excited.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, I've known Vince for a couple years at least. I don't even know how long now. Through Tyler, of course, you know, the Pacific North weird thing. Um, and Just around the house, it's like, hey, have you talked to weird Vince lately? And then, no, I haven't. You know, but so he's been kind of this fixture in the background of my life for a while, and I, I was thinking, man, this he would be an awesome guest to have on the show. So, yeah, he's smart. He's really interested in all sorts of unusual things. He's a good researcher. He's, I mean, he's articulate. Just a perfect guest. Oh yeah,
2: and then Tyler Bounce, for people that don't know, he was the original camping guy that we did our solo investigations on. The three four nights over overnighters out in the field by ourselves, solo camping. Tyler was the guy that whenever they say, "Were you were you scared when you were alone?" Tyler was the guy that was actually holding the camera that people thought was just floating magically by itself
1: yeah we gotta have tyler on as well because he would have uh, lots of insights into not only pacific north Weirds, since he's the cameraman for that project um and one of vince's partners in that project but also he has so many finding bigfoot stories It'd be fun to go back and reminisce a little bit with tyler about stuff and he, he saw yeah. sasquatches while he was filming us so uh, yeah. he'd be a great guest if we can nail him down he's he's kind of hard to nail down but if we can get him he'd be great yeah for sure i agree all right bob so that was another good one you want to take us home you, am I going to get lucky? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You want to get lucky with these squatch out here? Bars are closed and time to take you home, Cliff. No, maybe. <laughs> I'm married. <dude>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Damn it. Well, all right, folks, we hope you enjoyed that one. Let us know what you think. And uh, until next week, keep it squatchy.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond.